A very warm welcome to the Kudos community today. Kudos is a global leading provider of monetization applications for global users. It's creating a cleaner, more equitable world by making use of billions of dollars of underutilized hardware from around the world and then redistributing it for the betterment of communities and organizations. I'd like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, AMD, a multinational semiconductor Goliath, developing GPU and CPU processors across the globe for gamers, designers, service providers, pretty much every walk of life. And to Algorand, currently building the technology that will accelerate the convergence between centralized and traditional finance by enabling the creation of next-gen financial products. To support the Kudos Cast podcast, like and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram, and we would love to hear your comments or questions, so leave them in the comments. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into our latest Kudos Cast. This is episode eight of season two, and as voted by our Telegram and Twitter community, the Kudos Cast will be a weekly podcast covering a broad range of topics. On today's Kudos Cast, I'm very, very pleased uh, to announce that we have Yeroen uh, Devilter of Audit.1, who recently joined the Kudos Network as one of our lead validators. Yeroen, uh, welcome to the Kudos Cast. How are you doing today? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Pete. I'm happy, uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. It's an uh, yeah, absolute pleasure to be here. I'm excited to uh, discuss a whole bunch of topics with you. Brilliant. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, you, you re- very recently joined Audit.1, didn't you? Yes, absolutely. That is uh, that's correct. As of I think it's uh, three weeks now. Wow. Okay. And, and they've put you on a podcast already. Yeah, it's going fast. I think as everything in crypto, I guess um, one, <laughs> one day is a month, right? So uh... absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're an OG already of uh, Audit One. Fantastic. Okay. Well, no, thank you very much for for jumping on. It's um, you know I've been looking forward to this one um, as well, uh, and I think our audience has as well, right? So you know we we've just launched the kind of test net of our uh kudos network not so long ago really in the grand scheme of things in crypto it probably feels like ages but you know not so long ago in the grand scheme of things and uh you know there's a lot of new terminology for for, for our community out there right proof of state validators uh, staking as a service so you know um we, we've covered some of that on the um on the podcast before but you know it's good to hear it from the horse's mouth as we like to say over here and from uh, you know from a company that's providing those services so before we uh, before we jump into the conversation, perhaps you can just give us a little background on your on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, let's maybe start at the beginning, right? So I mean, born and raised in uh, in Belgium, um, and um, so as a as a kid, I was always into kind of tech and entrepreneurship in in general. Like, you know, I used to play games, but then I had to chip my PlayStation and Wii and so on to kind of copy games and and whatnot. I started copying. DVDs quite early on, sold them on the playground and stuff like that, you know, like um, t- typical stuff. Um, so I kind of was always kind of destined to go into kind of tech and entrepreneurship. Um, ended up studying uh, university, went to, to a um, program called business engineering, and then started my career afterwards as a consultant in financial services at uh, Accenture um, in, uh, in Belgium, so in Brussels. So that was quite technical, then then moved on to something a bit more uh, niche, a bit more boutique in terms of uh, consulting uh, with a company called Sia Partners. I moved to Paris uh, with him, stayed there for a couple of years. 
then moved with that company to Singapore to kind of do the the same thing. Always been working for uh, for big banks in uh, in in uh, yeah in the consulting uh, space. But then kind of realized that I didn't really want to be in big banks or in consulting anymore. Um, and I wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. Um, so I joined an early stage uh, fashion tech startup, um, which is called um, Edit Suits. Um, and um, basically I joined them to, uh, to grow the, the business in, um, in Singapore, but also uh, to take care of everything that's operations and, uh, and tech. So I basically was doing that. Um, for the last few years, we were growing uh, quite a bit. We launched so the brand Edit Suits, another brand called Edition One. And um, I mean, we, we grew quite a bit, made it to the top 100 fastest growing companies in Singapore for um, two years in a row even. And then on the side, I've always kind of stayed interested in, in other techs such as uh, crypto and, and blockchain and so on. So I've always kind of been reading up on, on the side. I think firstly, really got interested in, in 2017 as, as many people um, with a bit of, of trading, um, but it's, it was hard to combine crypto, I would say, with with a daytime uh, job. So I kind of said, look, I'll have to focus on, on the company that I'm working in. And I kind of delegated my, my little bit of crypto that I had to someone uh, who was managing it for me. And he kept me up to date once in a while about how it's going, like what the industry is, industry is working on and so on. But then, so earlier this year, I think it was January 20, yeah, 2021, um, basically that person kind of returned me my, uh, my assets um, with nice profit um, and um, said, look, I, I have other things to, to do. Um, so you'll have to take care of your, own, uh, of your own crypto. I mean, it's still a very small stack, but it was kind of good enough for me to become even more interested and more involved. And I started reading up on things like every, every single minute of my free time over the last year has gone into uh, crypto really deep down the rabbit hole, as, as they say it, and basically led me to get back in touch a lot more with, um, with one of my old colleagues um, who actually uh, moved full time into crypto and, and started his own company called uh, Persistence. Yeah, basically started discussing more and more with, with Tushar, so the CEO uh, and founder of Persistence. And uh, I said, look, I'm, I'm kind of like diving deep into this crypto uh, space and I want to move on um, from what I'm doing now and go full time into uh, into crypto uh, and started discussing with him over the last couple of months. And um, this opportunity came up where he said, look, we're we're having audit one here, but it would be good to have someone actually dedicated to to look after the growth um, and, and really drive drive growth and scale audit one, which which fits my my profile. And, and uh, I'm yeah super excited to uh, to be here and, and currently then leading basically growth and business development at uh, Audit One, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, plenty uh, later on. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much and fa fascinating. And you've, you've got to see a little bit of world, a little bit of the world on your travels and uh, where you've been. And uh, yeah, very, very, very cool. I like listening to everyone's backstory. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of names in there, Audit, Audit One and uh, Persistence. How, how are they? How are they linked? Yeah, so um, basically Audit One is um, is the validator arm of Persistence. So Persistence is uh, is a wider um, protocol that is involved in in a, in a bunch of different things and basically gives exposure to multiple asset classes. So basically they have um, they have their uh, liquid staking protocol. Um, they have a synthetics uh, derivatives platform. Um, they have an NFT product. Um, and one of the, I mean, and, and they have an audit one, which is basically the, the fourth, uh, the fourth vertical, um, I would say, and that vertical is, is really focused on, uh, on infrastructure. 
So basically, audit one is is a part of um, of um, of persistence, um, but it's kind of a product on its own, or, or like a company on its own, almost um, that uh, that drives uh, infrastructure, basically. Got it. Thank you very much. And uh, audit one of uh, you know, as I mentioned right at the very beginning, of just joined the Kudos Network. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for for coming in and and becoming a lead validator. And, and by by lead validator, I think you know what we are. Uh, kind of classifying that is just that you have you know vast experience in running um, other validator nodes for um, uh, tendermint based um, projects, proof of stake networks, right? So um, on that note, on that segue, uh, just for the benefit of our audience, um, you know, perhaps you could just explain what a validator is, what role they play within a network. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to uh, to explain. And, and so basically, um, blockchain networks, um, basically what they do is they propose blocks with transactions and then uh, blocks need to be uh, validated. And it's basically every blockchain needs some type of a consensus mechanism uh, where different actors that are decentralized uh, within the uh, in the protocol need to uh, all agree on what is the next bunch of transactions that will be included in uh, in the block. And um, as a validator, um, you kind of take on the role that is maybe more commonly known uh, from from the uh, Bitcoin network, for example, the proof of work uh, generation, um, where uh, you have the miners uh, who basically are able to um, look at transactions, propose transactions and propose blocks. And um, they basically get rewarded for um, for being able to propose blocks and uh, and write those blocks. It's, it's, a, it's, a cal- it's a calculation, isn't it? So it's a, yeah. It's actually uh, it's a cryptograph maybe a cryptographic puzzle. I think that's maybe the best way to to put it. Yeah. Basically, so miners in in a proof of work um, network kind of have to solve these puzzles. And if they uh, have enough computing power and they solve these puzzles fast enough, they can basically propose the blocks and they can uh, get the reward for proposing those blocks. Now, in proof-of-stake networks, which is kind of uh, the next step of, uh, of proof-of-work, it's kind of a change on that consensus mechanism, um, there are validators in, in the network, so similar to miners, who do the same thing, um, where basically they propose blocks and they get rewarded for it. But in, in order to participate, you don't need that computing power to solve uh, cryptographic puzzles. This time, you basically have to show that you have a stake, which is why it's called proof of stake. Um, so basically, you have to have that stake in the in the network uh, to be able to to participate in consensus and to uh, to validate transactions. Brilliant! Thank you very much for that, that detailed answer. That's really helpful. And a stake being funds essentially of that of that network. So it's is is this is kind of similar to uh, a bank, although decentralized. But in terms of a bank, the more uh, bank account holders they have the more securities uh, that bank is perceived to be. And that's that's kind of the same for this, except for it's decentralized because you're staking into, um, uh, you know, a proof of stake network rather than into a centralized bank. Well, yes and no. And, and I think one, one important point to note there is that uh, staking in general, in, in general is um, it's non-custodial. Um, so basically, uh, contrary to banks, um, even if people are using our infrastructure or, or validator nodes uh, to stake, um, it's called delegations, basically. So they delegate their stake to us, 
but at all points in time, they remain the owner of their uh, own assets. So they keep custody, they have their keys, and if they want to unstake or basically take their funds back, that's completely possible and they don't need um, they don't need any permission from us basically or any access from us to uh, to do so. So I think that's an important point uh, yeah, for the listeners to point. kind of know. Yeah. Excellent point. Thank you very much. Um, and just whilst we're on the, the subject of proof of stake, uh, would you class it as, uh, in blockchain terms, would you class it as revolutionary or evolutionary? Yeah, I think that's that's a, a good question. And um, I mean, I, I kind of see it more as an evolution on the revolution which came by by basically uh, blockchain in in general right it's like it started with with this distributed ledger technology and it started with proof of work which was kind of brilliant um at the time um and then i mean it's still kind of a great a great way of, of reaching consensus but in in the end i i think like proof of stake is just an evolution on that it's kind of a better way of reaching consensus and when i say better um, I, I mean, like, there's there's a lot of negative externalities, as you can call it, for um, for mining. Um, for example, it's very energy, like, inefficient if you think about it, because so many miners have to compete in terms of hash power uh, to propose these uh, these blocks, which is a lot of energy uh, that is used there to try and solve these puzzles. But only the one that actually validates the the block gets the gets the reward for it. So a lot of that mining power. Kind of goes to waste and then with proof of stake like it's different because you don't lose your stake if you don't validate uh, a specific block or a specific transaction but that it's a lot more energy efficient uh, in in a way so I, I think it's just an evolution basically on uh, proof of stake and and there are a, a few varieties of, of proof of stake mechanisms and I'm, I'm sure there will be further evolutions on this um, but at, at the moment it kind of seems like like the way to go for many uh, many networks um, and then I mean maybe just to add on to that I, I think ethereum is, is a great example of that where they started off as, as pure proof of work similar to uh, to Bitcoin. But now, I mean, I think the community and, and the Ethereum community realized that proof of stake is actually a very good way of, of doing things. And they're gradually moving towards um, a proof of stake. So they launched that beacon chain on which they do proof of stake um, validating and they're kind of trying to uh, move everything over uh, early next year, if I'm not mistaken, um, that should uh, that should happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know they've had a few delays, but obviously this is a highly, highly complex thing, right? Transitioning across from a full proof of work to a proof of state network. So, I mean, I mean, just on that point, do, do you do you think that um, this is this is the kind of death of proof of work? Are we seeing the end of it? Well, I mean, it's 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 a good question, and and um, I mean, I, I wouldn't dare to say it's the end because if you say the end, it would mean that. Bitcoin would have to stop using proof of work and move to proof of stake, which I don't think will happen anytime soon. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin is is not really uh, changing a lot of things um, as we as we know. So I, I think, however, most like most new chains will not start on on proof of work anymore. I think it just makes a lot more sense to start off with with proof of stake, and we see that in the industry, like most new chains are proof of stake. And and mm -hmm. to to add on there, I think so. Mining power, so as you know it from from the Bitcoin network, is kind of a a fungible thing. So if let's say there's new networks that kind of spin up uh, and that start with proof of work, at at some point if they become economically relevant enough, Bitcoin miners might kind of just switch their hash power to validate on or kind of mine on their network, and they will probably be powerful enough to just attack the network and take 
or extract all the value there. Um, so I think by design, this proof of work where, where hashing power is somewhat fungible is just kind of limiting the, the amount of good proof of work chains to, to just be one, which will be Bitcoin, right? Um, so, so that's kind of how I see it. Like, and, and until, I mean, there are some theories out there about Bitcoin kind of moving towards uh, proof of stake, but maybe even on the Ethereum chain. So for example, that you stop using Bitcoin, the network, but you just move the BTC, the asset basically, in terms of like, for example, a wrapped Bitcoin or something like that on the Ethereum network and kind of use the Ethereum proof of stake chain to, to use Bitcoin in general. But I mean, I don't want to go too much into, into detail that might lead us to crazy discussions, but um, yeah, that's kind of the, the how, I, how I see pr the end of proof of work or, or not the end basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Maybe we we just have to extend this kudos cards because I'm getting really interested in this. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's it's hard to see um, Bitcoin changing over any time in the near future, right? But just because of the, the 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 sheer size and the infrastructure behind that network, and it's you know unlike Ethereum, yes, there's kind of ASIC devices for Ethereum's, which are the you know specialized um, uh, mining hardware, but um you know that that that's more kind of a gpu based um proof of work still and those those gpus can be used for other things where they you know bitcoin asic miners they can't right they're kind of one trick ponies highly efficient but they're one trick ponies and and it's grown to that size you know the network has grown to that size where it's very very secure whereas you know smaller newer uh proof of works um you know they they, they still have that security threat i guess you know from uh 51 attacks etc Anyway, as you said, rabbit hole, very easy to go down it in this space. So let's, uh, let's kind of move on. Um, let's keep it on staking because obviously that's, you know, audit one. That's what the business is, is, is built around. Now, you know, I can go on to traditional, uh, stocks, you know, I can go on to apps that are that providing traditional stocks and you can, you can do things like a stock savings account and, you know, put, put uh, money into, uh, global index funds and stuff like this and and, and you know over the course of the year um, if it's a good year it might be kind of 20 to 30 percent up um, you know the average year I guess is probably kind of 15 to 17 percent up now now we start talking about staking and there's projects coming out that are paying you know between a um, 20 to 100 percent APR depending on how new they are and how many people are coming onto the network um, then those token holders that are staked, you know, that are delegated to to a to a network are uh, earning transaction fees, and you know, uh, and this is kind of whole distribution of wealth, which is providing a you know potentially can provide a much higher return. So, do you do you, do you think there are the traditional finance institutions out there that are worried about this, that are seeing that maybe they're their audience is going to decline. Um, it's going to start putting their, you know, their their investments, their money into, um, you know, into into kind of web free and staking and and that. What, what's your thoughts there? A lot of thoughts aut automatic, but I mean, if you, if you don't mind, I kind of want to hold on and, and pause this question for a second and then kind of keep it keep it here and go oh. back on to, to something you said earlier, as um, as us audit one like being focused on on staking, and I think. It's kind of important, I think, also for the listener to maybe talk talk a little bit more about like what we actually do as as Audit One and and kind of um, what are we what's our vision and like what are we setting out to oh, to achieve? Absolutely. Because I, I think yeah. we we didn't really uh, touch upon that yet. But so 
start starting with the name, right? Um, I, I get that question a lot. Um, like, audit, why why are you called audit, right? And um, I, I think there. Um, so the bigger the bigger picture is that if you if you look at the definition of uh, of an auditor or, or basically audit, it's basically an official examination of a business and their financial transactions um, to see that they are true and and correct, right? So now this concept of auditing was was introduced a, a long time ago, basically to just verify transactions uh, and, and communicate them clearly. But now how we see it is that in, in a future where a lot of transactions uh, are, actually, are actually permissionless and a lot of transactions are happening on chain and all these transactions, as we earlier discussed, can actually be validated at the moment they happen, uh, this functionality of, of being an auditor and coming in uh, a year or more after the facts to view if things were actually done correctly kind of becomes less and less relevant um, and you can actually do transactions and validations at the, at the same time so that's kind of the the bigger picture here the big bigger vision especially if banks and, and other institutions really start adopting blockchain more more regularly or more uh, broadly into uh, into products Basically, uh, all transactions will happen on chain over time, and that's that's kind of the, the the vision. And and with that, we really believe that the future will be largely decentralized, right? Um, and that's why why um, we uh, we say that so validators of today will be the auditors of tomorrow, and that's kind of where the the name comes from. Um, and so with with that vision of being largely decentralized, um, we basically. Uh, want to achieve that uh, i mean basically what we what we want to achieve is that we want to accelerate the adoption of decentralized technology so that's really the the why of of audit one like really we want to uh, we want to accelerate that adoption and how we do that is really by supporting communities that are like really at the bleeding edge of innovation in that space such as kudos uh, such as persistence um, by providing enterprise-grade blockchain infrastructure that can really help help them scale faster and, and basically make it easier to use, uh, make it more accessible worldwide. So that's really the, the goal, right? So I just wanted to, to kind of state that uh, before diving into the question that I've parked here. And I'm not sure if you want to add on something to that before before going to the other question. Uh, no, I, no, absolutely. I mean, this, that's, a, that's really good to know. And, um, you know, the i mean it's very very clear now why you're called audit one so you know thank, thanks for uh, thanks for explaining that um and uh yeah you know i agree it's you know we we are very much moving towards that kind of full automation that full decentralization where everything is kind of within the protocol right and uh and so um the the, the protocol that what your service was running becomes the auditor so it's very very clear so thank you thank you for explaining and and so yeah, to to get back to to your question on, I mean, how much of a threat this all is to existing uh, institutions? I mean, again, I think this is a topic that can go very very long and very broad. But if we're talking about like specific products, like like the ones you mentioned, like these um, these stocks or saving accounts or, or so on, I think technically those are just very different financial products, and I believe they can kind of coexist as as long as like. People have different preferences in terms of risk appetite, um, in terms of like what they want to have exposure to. So I, I do believe that there might be a threat. They will lose some customers who might be interested to move their risk-free uh, uh, pounds or euros or whatever to, um, to other products. 
Um, but as long as I think people live, they will have different risk appetites and, and I think there's place for all of them. Um, but, but so to elaborate a little bit, right? Like, so saving accounts are generally seen as kind of risk-free, but then, I mean, people have to realize that they're still having exposure. So they have exposure to the nation state currency, right? Uh, to inflation of, of that currency, potentially your bank's insolvency, um, or I mean, if the government won't be able to bail you out, even the government's insolvency, if, if like you're not able to, to access your funds, right? Then with stocks, you can kind of get exposure to um, specific company or like with with um, with funds, maybe to multiple companies and you can kind of get dividends for that. But again, like there there's specific exposure, right? And then you're earning dividends and, and even your stock is, is denominated in a nation state currency. Now, with proof of stake, and I think that's the beauty of it. So you have exposure to to digital assets on which uh, on the chain of which you're kind of staking your assets with. But you hedge that risk against the inflation of your um, of your nation state currency because your exposure is really in the token itself, which is the native token of the protocol. Um, that has yeah that that kind of doesn't look at um, at a specific uh, a specific currency right so you're really betting on the token of the network to become more and more valuable over time so I think when when users are thinking of or our customers are thinking from to stake certain assets they really have to know and understand the tokenomics uh, and the monetary policy basically of those networks that they're staking on and I think education is a very important factor there but um, yeah I mean it's different risk appetite right like so if you want uh, 15 or 20 percent uh, return on your tokens then I think proof of stake is is great depending on the network but you have to really understand what the network is about what the, the tokenomics look like and, and the monetary policy and so on and if you understand you can switch your risk appetite I think yeah ab absolutely uh, agree with that and yeah and more excellent points and uh, I guess, you know, it's, it's very easy to say as well, you know, the, the, the returns are going to be X, but like you say, it's kept in that cryptocurrency. But a lot of people kind of still in their head are converting that to US dollar or pounds or GBP, as you say. And it, and of course, if we go into a, a bear market, or should I say when we go into a bear market, right, because these are just standard market cycles, so we will experience one. Uh, then of course, yes, you're, you could be earning those nice uh, APRs and, and, and shares of transaction fees. Um, in that cryptocurrency of that network, right? But when you do the conversion, actually, it can be going down. So there's still the the, the, the kind of uh, the risk there. So hedging it across multiple different areas of finance, right? So crypto, traditional, if that's going to be is, is, is yeah, I can still see there's they're very complementary there. Yeah. And then maybe just to, to kind of add on, I think it's, it's an important point you touch on. It's as long as people keep on thinking in USD or in euros, then it means that, we're not far enough yet in that evolution, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if I keep on thinking, uh, okay, my ETH has gone up against the dollars or my portfolio is now worth more dollars than it was yesterday, then I'm not really fully into it. And even, I mean, myself, I look at it that way still too often, but in the end, like you wanna have the one asset that you believe is kind of seen as the, the currency of choice in, in um, or for you. And you can say, look, I have, half a Bitcoin today and I have 0 0.55 Bitcoin today and whatever the price of Bitcoin is, I'm happier with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I think that's kind of not really common yet in the space, um, but it's cool, I think, to see some wallets and some platforms to kind of have integration or options where you can literally switch your currency to 
to ETH mm-hmm. or to B- to BTC, for example, which which I think is kind of changing that mindset slowly to to move there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do it on Blockfolio sometimes. Oh, it's FTX now. If you if you download it and you know it's it's, it's just quite nice, especially if if the markets go into red, for example, then switch it to Bitcoin or Ethereum and then see, and then it, and then it might be in green again. <laughs> and yeah, just keep, yeah yeah whatever's visually appealing, you know, just keep switching it. <laughs> that's, that's a trick. That's a trick. Always works. Uh, and that brings me on to one of my questions I had actually, and that was around the security of proof of stake networks. Are they more resilient than uh, a public cloud? You know, just so solely relying on a AWS, for example. You know, how how do you how do you go about setting up um, uh, a kind of validator environment for a proof of stake network all at one? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And I mean, I must admit, like I'm I'm not an expert in in public cloud. Like we have our um, public cloud or cloud architects in general and, and security specialists. So I, I can't really talk too much about the public cloud it's, itself, but I can talk a bit more about like the, the security of, of proof of stake in, in general. And um, I think it's a very active topic, right? Like um, how secure is this proof of stake mechanism now? Uh, it's so young, like it really, I think it started in 2018 was the, the first real proof of stake network. So it's literally in in the like yeah early stages of um of this type of consensus mechanism and it's not sure whether we can say look this is 100% secure or 100% safe and i think cloud has had a longer lifetime so probably has has faced a lot more attacks a lot more challenges a lot more learning so maybe is a bit further in that stage but so there's there's a few things i think in terms of security of proof of state networks that that you need to uh, to look at and how I look at it is, is like if the cost of attacking the network um, is lower than like the potential benefit you can make or the potential profit you can make from kind of doing so, then there is some risk, right? There is the network is kind of at, at risk. So basically now, how do we increase security? It's really how do we increase the cost um, of, um, of of like really attacking the network or kind of making it harder to uh, to attack in general? But um, and then there's a number of ways we can increase the the security. So and the first one is just really to uh, to have more and more validators uh, on the network because that means it's more decentralized. The stakes of people can actually be more distributed across uh, different uh, different validators. Um, and even if one validator or multiple validators behave maliciously, um, you still wouldn't re- reach the quota uh, in which you can halt the chain or, or even kind of maliciously double sign certain transactions uh, or, or so on. So the more validators you have, the harder it becomes to to kind of gain control of of that network and i, I think that's that's one important point is just like more and more validate or more decentralized kind of makes makes sense um because you you can have a network um and then and if the uh, like if the first let's say 10 validate or the most uh, the biggest 10 validators on the network own uh, or or have a delegation that totals like 80% of the stake of the network then all it takes is for those validators to kind of collude um, and that, that kind of puts the security at risk, right? Um, so it's it's really spreading out the stake evenly across validators and having like a lot of validators that makes it really hard to, to kind of collude and so on. Uh, so I think that's, that's one part. And then I think the second part is really the infrastructure itself, right? So I think probably that's why where where kudos also comes in is is really to make sure that that infrastructure is first of all secure and and ideally like behind sentry nodes 
uh, to kind of prevent certain uh, public uh, attacks like deposit attacks and so on. But um, yeah, and also to have that infrastructure really decentralized and spread out across countries, um, split out between bare metal servers and, and cloud infrastructure. Um, so yeah, the more spread out it is, the kind of the kind of better. And and yeah, and in terms of security, I, I would I don't know. I can't say whether proof of stake is hundred percent secure at the moment. But I'm sure that over time this will evolve, and security is important and will always be one of the main uh, main things. Um, especially because you kind of put assets at risk or at stake, basically. Uh, so security is super super crucial, and there's a lot of companies working on that, including ourselves, to just make sure that uh, these chains are secure. That's really like what we do. So Excellent. No, thank you very much for a detailed answer. Um, and you're right, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the way that we've um, uh, managed, I guess, the uh, validators uh, onboarding is, is is those that absolutely we've known anyway that have come and approached us that we've been talking to over the last, well, nearly a year now. But we've made sure there's that underlying vendor diversity. I there's not going to be more than say twenty percent that are with uh, a single hosting provider around the world, right? So it's not going to be more than twenty percent on AWS or or bare metal service provider. Um, and then the global uh, regional diversity as well, right? So making sure that we've got them in Asia, in Australia, in uh, the Americas, in Europe, and uh, in Africa as well. So yeah, uh, very very good points there. Um, now, audit dot one, or just audit one. I keep putting the dot because I keep thinking of the website. But audit one, <laughs> uh, would you would you classify that part of the the overall business as a staking as a service provider? I know a lot of people kind of put themselves under that that tag. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean it's it's one of the things that we do. I think like staking as a service is kind of an easy way of of stating it i would say but in, in general i would say we're in the business of blockchain infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, more more general right now absolutely got it and when, when we're talking to um uh, those that would class you know openly market themselves as staking as a service um so you have um like my container stake.us you know there are a couple of our validators that will be coming on for the main net you know you could go onto their website as a as a retail user so as a holder of kudos tokens so go on their website i could look up kudos i can um you know through their user interface go and stake uh, my tokens and they you know show all of the different projects that they they support as well um i didn't notice that on the audit one website now is that because you have a different audience target audience I mean, fr frankly, no. Um, it's because we haven't gotten there yet. So it's okay. uh, <laughs> it's okay, um, okay. it's early stage. And actually, I had a call this morning uh, to to discuss like how we want to make that interface phase look. But I, I mean, basically, in term, to answer your question about like the audience itself, right? I think you can split up these delegations in kind of three main origins. Basically, I think that the the three main origins are like foundations. So foundation delegations. So those are really the, the treasuries almost of the projects that are uh, that are uh, that we are validating on right uh, they have a whole lot of tokens and they want their infrastructure to be decentralized but often to incentivize validators to come on they say as soon as you run your validator uh, infrastructure we will stake a part of our treasury uh, on your validator and you can earn a commission on that uh, as you would with any uh, staking service um, and those are uh, usually bigger chunks of uh, of delegations, right? Um, and that's by really being actively involved in in the network by ensuring that you're a trustworthy participant that you can usually get these uh, these uh, delegations. 
and that you really that they are sure that you will meet those minimum requirements that they are looking forward to having on their on their network. So that's one. Then you have the retail delegations, which you you mentioned, and where there's a lot of players in the industry already who have created dashboards to make that really uh, really easy. Um, and um, yeah, we, we just haven't had the time yet to really focus on that. Um, I mean, it's been three weeks, Pete. <laughs> Come on, three weeks. You, we, we all know that's three years in this industry. That's what we said at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, should have, should have been there. Yeah, no, but so we're definitely focusing on the, on the retail part and trying to make that such a smooth experience that really even someone who, who, bought, the, who bought their coins like today should be able to, to kind of stake and make that uh, super easy without too much uh, too much hesitation. So that's the next thing we're uh, we're working on and really want to become that trusted brand um, in in the industry uh, with audit. And I mean we have a bit of uh, of, of um, spill over there with with persistence, which is quite known already in the industry itself, which allows us to attract a certain amount of of retail delegations uh, because they know that we are the validator arm of persistence, which is a well known um, product in the in the ecosystem. We've already got that kind of trust and credibility credibility from the persistence brand. Yeah, absolutely. And then so we have the the third pillar, which is the institutional, as as I call it. And then I'm really talking about like funds, um, family offices, asset managers who invested early on in certain projects who now own like large stakes of these digital assets and if they hold them they kind of lose out right so they might as well stake their coins um so that's kind of the third um part and and if if they are not interested in uh running infrastructure themselves um they should find a staking as a service provider to kind of stake their coins with but then and that's where i think the the other part of the business comes in like if they really see the the future and like the belief um that they want to run their own infrastructure and their own nodes um because it's largely their stake and especially like let's say you have bigger banks who starting to come in like they might want to run their own infrastructure but not necessarily have the capabilities to do so um and that's where our white labeling service comes in right so we can literally white label those uh those nodes um where it looks like they are running these uh these nodes they have their own nodes um, but we are basically managing the the infrastructure for them, right? So yeah, we're we're actively scaling up at the moment, and we're we're hiring um, to really increase our uh, our service offer uh, in those different domains. Um, and um, yeah, just I think in general, like the goal is to build better products um, and to really try and accelerate that adoption of, of decentralized technology, like whatever it takes, right? And if, if you've got any high level stats of, um, you know, just, just, just an average is absolutely fine, but what kind of volume you're locking into proof of stake networks? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's yeah publicly available. I think shout out to the guys at stakingrewards.com. Like they have a lot of super interesting information on, uh, on staking in general. And like, you can look at different uh, validators there and see how much uh, they have kind of under delegation. And I think we, we have around $215 million uh, worth of assets um, staked through our uh, our infrastructure. But I wouldn't be able to say how much comes from foundations or how much comes from retail. Like uh, that's very hard to uh, to kind of say. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, there was a there's an article um, we, we covered it on um, season one actually, but it was, um, you know, saying that the proof of stake uh, or actually just stake an industry right so they're classing it as a whole new industry is is, is you know it's going to scale to about 40 billion by 2024 2025 so um you know we're, we're well i mean we're, we 
definitely seeing that trajectory this year, aren't we? And uh, we've definitely been locked into networks. So to, to, to hear those kind of volumes makes makes sense. And I, I think that I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I guess it's already quite big in terms of like the addressable market size. You're basically talking of all, like about all proof of stake coins and networks that are out there. And I think that market size is, is already quite massive. And then especially with Ethereum moving to that, I mean, that's the, the second largest um, digital asset in the world. So once that is moving to uh, full proof of stake, I mean, I think that's when people will open their eyes and really start to understand what staking is and like how it's um, how it's actually changing a lot of uh, a lot of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the target for kudos then is to is to get bigger than Ethereum before they, they make the swap. <laughs> now we'll do we'll do things in our own way. It's all good. Uh, okay. Um. So yeah. I mean, let's let's kind of wrap this up now. You've been um. You know, excellent guests. So thank you for coming along. But what attracted your team to to kudos? I think you did make a, a reference in there earlier. Um. Is there kind of a particular thesis of um, projects you're looking into? I mean, there's, I think kudos is interesting for a bunch of different ways, right? And I think, I think first of all, like the values of kudos and uh, like, I, I think there's just super aligned with our values in general. Like, and I guess it's the reason we all keep working so hard towards that, that goal is, is really because of what we believe in, right? Uh, what has the, the power to really change change the world? And I think with kudos, I think that's that's great to to see that. And and especially because it's also focusing on planet and people. You know, I think that's that's one thing. I think kudos is quite loud and clear about. And I, I think that's beautiful, and that really resonates with with me and, and the team. Um, so I think that's that's definitely important. Um, the, a massive part of IT infrastructure is at the moment dominated by a few large players. Um, and I love how how kudos is really trying to to bring that power somehow back to 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 the people right and in the hands of the smaller uh, smaller players um so that just makes a lot of sense to me uh in terms of uh, in terms of decentralization in terms of the, the way things are are going and um yeah I'm just also really interested in to see like where we can take this this partnership uh, like we're we're an active uh, validator on on the testnet we're participating uh and then contributing where uh, where we can um and uh, yeah I'm, I'm particularly interested in all the projects around data i think data and data availability analytics uh oracles things like that uh, that might spin up and like I'm, I'm just super curious to see what people will build on on kudos right um and um yeah i mean i know blockchain is only a part of what kudos is working on right um, but I'm sure that like together um, we'll be able to do so many great things in, in the industry. And yeah, I'm just super excited about it. Perfect. Thank you very much. And there, yeah, there's some, there's some great projects that are building on. So, uh, I mean, a lot of them we've announced, right? So we are doing data oracles. Uh, well, API 3 will be coming on. We've got uh, Kylin Network as well. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we've got digital identity and passwordless authentication from Shift and, and Magic and uh yes yeah, it's, it's just a super interesting time and then you know then i could we jump into all the metaverses and nfts and, and everything like that so well yeah I, well i'm excited I, every single day it's just moving at such a you know rate of knots it's it's unbelievable really so i have to kind of pinch myself sometimes but there's uh yeah some really really cool stuff and i guess you know that will start to um become a lot more visible you know in the kind of testnet phases that we've got coming up where people will start building smart contracts and uh, and everything so yeah all very good but 
Your own, thank you very much for, for, for joining the Kudos Cast today. You've been a, an amazing guest, very, very knowledgeable in this space. You know, three weeks. I know you said you've been since 2017 and keeping up to it, but, you know, it feels like you've come in in three weeks and you just, the, 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 the oracle of knowledge is what I'm going to call you for, for <laughs> blockchain and crypto. Any, any kind of closing thoughts? Any final thoughts? No, I think we we covered a lot already, and uh, no, I just want to thank you for for having me on. It was great, uh, great conversation, and uh, yeah, I'm super excited about all the things that are coming up. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks again, and I hope we can do this again. Like I don't know, maybe in a year's time absolutely. or so, and we'll see where we stand. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I look forward to it. We'll we'll, we'll get you booked in now. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. And once again, a huge shout out to everyone that has tuned into this week's Kudos Cast. It's been a blast. We hope you enjoyed this week's Kudos Cast and a big thank you to our sponsors once again, Algorand, Outlier Ventures and AMD. You can check them out in the description below. And don't forget to like and leave us a review to support this podcast. And for more content, you can find us on Twitter, Telegram, Instagram and Medium. Until next time, adios and au revoir.